0: We're going to be turning in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Um, Alan read to you the second chapter, that was to help us, and you'll see when we get there uh, to give you some of the background of the to the, these letters to the Thessalonians. But in a minute, I'm going to be reading First Thessalonians three verses eleven through thirteen. If you would want to turn there, even if you don't want to turn there, please turn there. <laughs> And so out of reverence for God's word as it is read, please join me by standing. And you know this is a prayer because he uses the may language twice in here. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that... He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. It's too easy, Lord, to run through them and read them quickly and not catch all of the warmth and the heart of Paul here. But we are grateful for it. We're grateful for these two letters containing more prayers in them than any other letter in the New Testament. And for that, Lord, we're grateful. We pray that you would help us and guide us as we learn to pray with Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So again, let me review the situation to you because Paul has loads of reasons for being concerned for these Christians. Remember, if you go back to Acts 17, Paul was only in Thessalonica for a short period of time. So he left modern-day Turkey, what was called Asia Minor, went over to Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, and then he comes down to Thessalonica. And he's only there a short time, either six weeks, three months, something along that lines. And then the local Jewish folks gather gather together uh, a posse, a lynch mob, if you want to call it that, to run him out of town at the threat of his life. And so he leaves... He goes down to Athens, and while he's in Athens, he tries to do his ministry, but he cannot get his mind off of this young fledgling church back up in Thessalonica. Did it cave in? Did it burn down, so to speak? Did, it, did they wipe them out? Are they, did they give it up or whatever? And So he's really, really concerned for them, and he sends Timothy back up to Thessalonica... And uh, to find out how they're doing and to encourage them. And now Timothy has just returned and given him a report. So Timothy comes back and reports back. And Paul cannot help himself but to be very, very thankful. If you remember a month ago, I know it was a month ago. But there were three sets of thanksgivings in First and Second Thessalonians, right? The thankfulness for the signs of life, the signs of loyalty... And the signs of longevity. And so he was, just could not contain himself in gratitude. And so he writes these two letters. There's probably maybe about a six month gap from 1 Thessalonians to 2 Thessalonians. But they're close together in time span. And so he writes these two letters. And there's tons of tenderness. Paul's tenderness is richly displayed for this church. You heard it when Alan was reading it. He describes that he felt like a nursing mother holding them close to his heart verse chapter 2 verse 7 and 8. And then he describes himself as an affectionate father verses 11 and 12, chapter 2 verse 11 and 12, who's concerned about their future. I mean you cannot miss the heartwarming language there, the way he's describing how he feels toward them like a mother, like a father. And so with that warmth there being displayed it's it's really not a surprise and yet it is a surprise at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians two very short letters are packed with Paul's prayers more than any other letter he wrote all the others may have one prayer he's got so many prayers in them prayers of thanksgiving prayers of request in them it really it catches you you go you start reading looking for those prayers and you can't miss them so we already did the prayers of Thanksgiving. We did that a month ago. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through, 12, uh, through 13. Then on May the 14th, we're actually going to look at the three prayers Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians. We'll do that in May the 14th. And that's when the series will end. But there, So I just want you to catch the reality. He, he was so warm towards him. He constantly, he's just constantly pouring in his prayers, writing them out in these two letters. It's pretty huge. And so we begin tonight with the first part of his prayer here in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 through 12. We, we begin with the first part of his prayer, which voices a longing to be together. That's how it begins. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He really wants to go back to them. Now, my friends, we're right, as you think about this verse, we're right when we pray for what we call travel mercies for people, right? It's it's very fine. It's fine for us to do that when someone is on a trip, you know, that they'd be safe coming and going and all those things. And Paul is praying for something similar here, but it's more than just travel mercies. Notice that Paul's prayer is a longing to be together with them, that that the our Father and our Lord Jesus would direct our way to you. He wants to be with them. Paul's prayer is a longing to be get together with them and that fits his feelings towards them. Since Paul held them in such warm ways like a nursing mother or like an affectionate father, chapter 2, 7, and 11, then this is no surprise. He wants to be with them. He likes them. He wants to find time to be there together. And since he was worried about them, as they faced down their afflictions... Look back at the top of chapter 3, back up in verse 4 and 5. Notice his concern. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand... ...that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer... I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Notice his concerns as they face down even their own afflictions. And so then this longing to be together with them is right on. I mean, how many of you parents long to be with your adult children who are no longer around? How many of you miss uh, your dearest friends that you wish you could be with and you could not be around them very often. I have a dear friend that I went and worked on my doctorate with him. He's a United Methodist minister. As he would say in one of his parish meetings, he stood on the table and pounded his foot and said, I'm the voice of orthodoxy in this church. It was a beautiful moment. But I miss him. I haven't seen him in Uh, 10 years, it's been over 10 years. I talk to him on the phone all the time, but I miss seeing him. He's the funnest guy to be around, right? How many of you have dear friends that you wish you could be with and you miss them? How many of you have parents who now are long gone? You wish you could be with them, right? If you have that feeling, then you get a sense of Paul's longing to be with these people. He's longing to be together with them. And so then, With this in mind, and here I'm talking to us as a congregation that's scattered hither, thither, and yon, as I mentioned this morning, as a commuter church, is it not fitting and is it not proper for us to pray that our Father would make ways for us to get together more than just once a week? Wouldn't it be more proper for us to yearn to be together at other times as well and to pray for it? praying for our fellowship to continue beyond just our Sunday morning gatherings and worship service to go on throughout the week in some other ways in some other settings at other times. Now, I know we do a lot of those. The Naomi group gets together once a month. Retired guys, we get together once a month. And there are other... The Needlework Guild does their thing as well. Women's ministry, session and deacons, we get together. But just... That's just a small group of people that get together regularly. How much more should all of us be yearning for and praying that the Lord would direct our ways back together in some way? Maybe even that will require us to pray that our Father would stir us up to want to get back together again. Sometimes the getting back together is not the problem because the want's not there, right? You know, that that kind of thing. And so maybe praying even that. So this longing to be together, it folds right in then to the next part of the prayer. Longing to love together. It's verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Aha! We're back at it again. There it is. Our Lord's new commandment shows up top drawer issue once again, I hope everybody's walking away going, hmm, I think Jesus' new commandment is probably a top drawer issue in the New Testament. Mike's persuaded me. I hope you're persuaded because you can't miss seeing it unless you're just blind. It's in so many of Paul's prayers. It's that important. Notice how here then as you see that, then notice how Paul places himself in this prayer as a model. Notice the very end of verse 12. Verse 12. I want you to increase and abound and love more and more for one another and all as we do for you. He places himself as a model example for that same affection. And so when you read this letter, as well as when you get to the second letter, you cannot miss this really is a huge top drawer issue. And Paul's own love for them is extremely emphatic Paul is not playing the fake it till you make it game. He honestly loves them. And so then in the middle part of the prayer, he longs for them to love together also and to increase and to abound in this love. That's what he says. And so may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. But first... They already are abounding in love for one another. Just look down at chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, we have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Well, they're already doing it. Wow! So maybe you're puzzled. And it's okay to be puzzled sometimes with Scripture. Why, pray tell, would Paul petition God that these Christians would do what they're already doing beautifully and have a reputation for doing? Why would he petition God for them to have more of it? Well, with some reflection, it will be easy to discern at least three reasons. There's more, but I'm going to just give you three, three reasons. I've already mentioned one of these the other day before. Notice that to begin with is that loving others got broken in Genesis 3. Why this woman you gave me, she's the one who, you know, you just, you're already there. And you know it because then you come without any, any extra material in between. You come immediately to Genesis 4. And who, what do you have in Genesis 4? Anybody remember two brothers perchance? One named what? Cain. The other one named Abel. And does Cain love his brother Abel? No. Fratricide, right? Kills his brother. Love is broken since the fall. Love myself? No problem. Love you? Big problem. Because you're not like me. I like me. I don't know that I like you. I mean, that's just what goes on in our hearts. Loving other people, especially people who are not like me, is a hard, it's hard to do, right? And it's, it's easy to slide over like all the rest of our society to love just me and people like me and that's it and I'm not going to love anybody else. Love got broken. That's why Paul is praying that they would abound and increase in love, the very thing they're already doing, because you still need to always be praying for it because love is broken, Look, when Christ died on the cross, the power of sin was broken. The penalty of sin was taken from us. As I often say, the pride of sin was humbled. But the presence of sin, broken love, still lingers in each and every one of us. That's why... Number one reason Paul is praying for them to increase increase and abound in the very thing they're already doing beautifully because they need to because if they go into autopilot, guess what's going to happen? Go right back to the way things are in the rest of society around them. Which then brings me... So that means we need to pray. We need to pray that the longing to love uh, will be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Loving one another is a gospel thing. It's a grace alone thing. And so we need to pray that this longing to love together will be unstoppable. Here's the second reason. It's easy to begin to coast. It's easy to begin to sit on our hands and just step back and get by. The regular and the routine, the regular and routine sometimes can become the enemy of real love. The regular and routine can sometimes become the enemy of real love. And so pray, pray that the longing to love together would be indefatigable. Did I say that right? Did I pronounce it right? Indefatigable. Okay? I always want to say indefatigable, but that's not how you say it. Indefatigable. Okay. Finally, affliction. Think of it. Affliction can suck the love, the lifeblood out of your loving others. Because in all reality, we're all self-centered narcissists at heart. We're all about ourselves. And when you go into suffering, it starts to suck the lifeblood out of loving others. Loving in the midst of affliction means learning to continue to reach out to one another even when all you want to do is pull your arms in and hug yourself. So when we were in martial arts and we were learning how to spar for points, not actual hand-to-hand combat stuff, but just sparring for points, the very first thing you do is when you're, when you're in a martial arts sparring match, is you immediately hug yourself like this because it keeps the, other, the opponent from scoring, because he didn't touch your body, he just hits your arms, it blocks, right? And that's what we normally do, that's our normal reaction when we're in affliction, is to get back into a sparring mode like this, to keep, that, keep the affliction from scoring points. Right? But that means my arms are in here, right? I'm hugging myself. But in affliction, it's actually reaching out, learning to reach out and continue to reach out, growing and increasing and abounding and loving for one another. Affliction will suck the lifeblood out of our loving. That's why Paul is praying, because they're being afflicted. And so he's continuing to pray for them to increase and abound in love. And so we should also pray that longing to love together would be undying, no matter what it comes. But watch how Paul then takes this longing to love together and he stretches it out beyond the boundaries of their little fledgling church. He says, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Okay, so let's talk about all for a minute. This for all can be, go in at least two directions. First off, the for all is for other Christians in other regions and other places to be sure. This is how he begins this letter. If you look over at chapter 1, verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you to Macedonia and Achaia, so north and south of you... But your faith in God has gone everywhere. So they're known for the gospel going out from them for all. And then if you remember again chapter 4 verse 9 and 10 that's their reputation for love. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So therefore when Paul prays for them to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, the for all specifically includes fellow believers who may not be part of their fellowship but are in other places. But it seems to also have another direction. So if you're looking at 1 Thessalonians, look at chapter 5 and verse 15 very quickly. Paul says to them there, he says, See that no one repays evil or evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That moves in a different direction. As we increase and abound in loving here in our congregation, and increase and abound in loving further out to other Christians who are outside of our own congregation, what it does is it's training us. This also goes with this morning's sermon. It trains us. And habituates us to show genuine love to people we're not always like. And so that begins to change the way we treat people who are out out there. People who are outsiders is what Paul called them in Colossians. Loving, actually taking this love that we've been practicing here. And taking it out there into our neighborhoods, communities and civil society. You know, you may not know this. But suburbia is meant to destroy neighborliness. Did you know that? Just look at a suburban house, right? And then go downtown Oklahoma City and look at an old 1930s house in Oklahoma City, okay? So this happened, we figured this out when we were in Midland because our 1950s built house had this ginormous porch on the front, in the front, and the garage was actually back, even with the porch or further back, and probably wasn't even there originally when the house was built. And it was meant for us to sit on the front porch in our rocking chairs or our swings and watch David and Sue Ann walk by. Hey, David, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you. See you again. It meant and built neighborliness. Now, what do suburban houses look like? Where's the garage door? Normally, it's way out here. So that way, you don't have to interact with any of your neighbors. You just pull into your garage, shut that door, and say, I'm not dealing with any of them people. Uh-uh. Right? And what about your porch? How big is your porch? You're not putting any rocking chairs out there. If you do, nobody's coming to your house at all, right? I mean, it's not meant for neighborliness. So, they're on the back patio where you have all kinds of control. and you yes. So notice that suburbia is totally opposed to neighborliness. And when Anna and I moved where we live now in this cul-de-sac, we, in the name of the Lord, renounced suburbia. We chose to know all of our neighbors that we can possibly know and actually get involved with them. So north of us is a, uh, the Sligers who actually go to Redeemer in, in North Edmund, right? Across the street is a family who lost their son in 2005 in Iraq. He was in the army. Got to know them well. gotten and rescued their dogs a few times when they got out of the fence, you know, all that stuff. Right across the street is a homosexual couple, two males over there. And they don't want us to know them, but we try. We keep getting over there and pestering them all the time, right? On the other side, used to be Mr. Moore, Roger Moore. No, he wasn't James Bond. Okay, sorry. But Roger Moore lived next to us, lived in this area for years. And we got to know him and we'd we'd just get to know him and, and worked on getting the fence built and everything. But as his last days, as he began to move closer to declining and none of us knew he was riddled with cancer, I got his daughter's phone numbers, right, and kept in touch with them. And I said, I'm just keeping an eye on your dad. Okay, I just want you to know, I mean, he's still climbing on the roof, fixing things. I'm keeping an eye on your dad. And they said, thank you so much. And then the day, the last day, the last day he was in his house that evening, it was a Sunday evening, I saw the ambulance and I thought, I'm going to go over and see what's going on. And I just walked in like I owned the place and got to see Roger for the last time, see his daughters, um, prayed for him, and he went to the hospital and he died 24 hours later. Right? But just getting to know them. I know the people behind us, Jean and Debbie, she's had horrible cancer and he's already had uh, bypass surgery or something in the middle of COVID and stuff. Just getting to know our neighbors, revolting against suburbia, taking this love that you're increasing and abounding in for one another and moving it then to and also for all. And it looks maybe a little different than it might in church, right? Because I don't agree with the guys that live across the street with what they're doing, you know what I'm saying? But it doesn't mean I have to treat them mean and nasty. I can still be a neighbor to them. That, does that make sense? And that's what Paul's praying for here. This increasing and abounding of love specifically and for sure for one another. But let it expand beyond just one another. Let it begin to filter into for all. And that's how Paul prays here. And so then the heart of this longing prayer is our loving one another together. And notice that it has a day of judgment ...reason to it. Verse 13. It has a day of judgment reason to it. And so Paul prays for their longing to stand together. Verse 13. Longing to stand together. So that... Those first two words are magical. They tell you, oh, this is the reason for the prayer in verse 12. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness... ...before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus... With all his saints. So that, here's the reason for the prayer in verse 12. So that when Jesus returns, we will all stand together before God blameless and in ho- and, and holiness. That's why our prayer, this prayer for us loving together is important. So that we will stand together on that day. This loving together now is part of... Right now, it's part of God's gracious work in us that we call sanctification. Right now, it's part of sanctification. As we, by the grace of God and by the act of work of the Spirit of God, increase and abound in love for one another, we're already growing, in a sense, in blamelessness. In other words, we're growing in the sense of unblemished, untarnished unimpeachable love and all of this blamelessness is inside of holiness, blameless in holiness. We are truly already now being conformed more and more into the image of his son who is love in the flesh, who is the love of God in the flesh. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is And we're being conformed more and more into his image. And one day we will be there. But notice that this all comes forth in beauty and grandeur when he says, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let your eyes travel back up 1 Thessalonians to the end of chapter 2. Look at the last verses, verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2. And notice what Paul says there. And see, this is a common recognition that Paul has. And it's a little bit surprising for us rugged individualists. This is what he says. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What a surprising statement. Here's how I'm going to celebrate on that day. I'll be dancing, I'll be rejoicing in God's goodness because you'll be there with me. You're my crown, my joy, you're you're my boasting before the Lord. Right now, I realize he's talking as an apostle and is saying it validates his ministry, but but this goes on all the way through the New Testament in different places, and it's just the importance of the fact that we are going to stand together. And that's going to be a happy day. I mean, can I get something like, yeah? Yeah, there you go. Say ah. There you go, Steve. There you go. That's exciting. Standing together and so praying for them to increase and abound in love is with a view to that day that we'll stand together. Paul even says something similar when he's writing to that ornery church at Corinth, a church that he deeply loved also and that hurt him Terribly, right? So go back and try to remember how I, when I preached through 2 Corinthians, for example. You can't miss it. He was hurt terribly by that church. And yet he says to that church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him and bring us with you into his presence. That's an amazing statement. You're a church that hurts me down deep in my stomach. And yet my joy is this is that knowing that Jesus is going to raise both of us and he's going to bring us both together into his presence. That's what Paul's saying, right? That's amazing. Maybe, maybe it can help to put some things together if I use the words of the old Pentecostal and Baptist preachers. I remember hearing when I was a young kid running around Henri with frickles and hayseed hair. And They used to put it this way, maybe you'll remember this: "We're well, going to spend all eternity with those people anyways, might as well learn to like them and love them now." What a great statement. That's kind of Paul's point, that you would increase and abound in love more and more with a view to Jesus returning, right? Because we're going to be together forever. Well, so what do we learn from Paul as we kneel beside him in prayer? Let's start with the last first, and then we'll work our way through this prayer. Our prayers for the here and now, our prayers for the here and now, about people here and now and actions and situations here and now, probably should be tied more often to the there and then, to the day of the Lord. For example, we pray for these people. ...because we want to stand together in the day of the Lord. We pray for these adult children... ...because we want to stand together with them in the day of the Lord. We pray for these parents who maybe are beginning to decline... ...with Alzheimer's and so forth. We pray for them. Why? Because we want to stand together with them in the day of the Lord. We pray for these fellow church members... ...because we strongly desire them to stand with us... ...on the day of Christ when He returns. And when they do, and when we're standing together... Oh, joy. What a joy that will be. Praying on the here and now tied more closely to the there and then. Next off, never tire, never tire of praying that God's people, including yourself, will become more and more consistent with the love of God displayed in our loving Lord Jesus and that we would become clearly His ever-loving people would be just known. Here's the, here's the, here's Jesus' loving people. Look at them. It was said of us once, I remember an early church father said that the rumor on the streets were, wow, look at how those Christians love one another. What a far better testimony than the things that we get known for today, right? Look at how they love one another. So never tire of praying for that. Further, remember our Lord's new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And if you go back and look at the call to worship, he said it again in John 15, the same thing. And then he ties it to himself: No greater love is a man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. So notice, remember our Lord's new commandment that we would, so that we would love each other so well that all would know, that all the world would know that we are Christ's followers and disciples. And that might lead us at times maybe to be more focused in our prayer for congregations where love is in drought mode. <laughs> right, we've been in drought mode for a while. You understand drought mode? And sometimes there are congregations that go through the dry and weary land where there is no water. They're in the midst of drought mode when it comes to love. And so praying for them, Lord, these are your people come and rain down on them and drench them with your refreshing love to turn them completely around so that they'll sprout and bear a bountiful crop of love that looks just like your love. So, this should be one of our prayers. Lastly, praying that we would find ways to get together, which might include us having to pray Dear God, change the tendencies and trends in my own heart or in our hearts so that we will want to be together more and enjoy each other better. And so that's 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. As I said, next time we'll pick up the three prayers that Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians. So let's pray with Paul. O oh, our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, do direct our ways back together. Help us to find good ways to be together, to grow in our desire for each other's fellowship. And O Father and Son, please do make us increase and abound in love for one another and for all as as we've been doing all along, and to become even better at it. And may we even by your grace and goodness come to model this love for our fellow Christians so that you may establish our hearts together with them as blameless in holiness before you at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It's in the Lord's name we pray. Amen.